Hello everyone. Hope that you're doing okay. Uh, how are you doing at the start of the year so far? It's been one month, right? Do you feel like you've worked six months already? Oh, so loud. Ah. <laughs> so I hope that the Theology of Work sermon series has been helping you at least think through, right? Uh, how we need to structure our lives, not just really about work-life balance, but work-life integration. Because God has a lot to say about how um, He created work to be. And we need to work uh, according to God's paradigm. And uh, this whole sermon series is to help us do that. We've come to the second last of our sermon series. Uh, And next week is Chinese New Year. And uh, Pastor Ray will be closing the whole entire uh, Theology Work series up. So, um, hope that you get to come next week also okay but remember it's on sunday and two services only we're going to focus at witness today uh, especially also witness at work and how do you become an effective witness okay for god but before you can be a witness i believe that it's important for us to know what is actually a witness right let's go back to some definitions and what does scripture actually say about uh, witness and how has god used witness uh, consistently throughout the ages. Um, what is scripture saying about their role and how to be an effective witness? We'll talk about that. Uh, the, the how-to will come. Okay, we'll cover all these today. So let's go to our scripture passage. And it's taken from Matthew 5. And this is from, uh, from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And let's read it. Okay, and let me just read this for you. So Jesus preached about this and said, You, all of you, you are the salt of the earth. And if, but if the salt loses its saltiness, then how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. And you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people give a lamp and put, uh, light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. These are the words of God. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, you came as a witness to us about your eternal kingdom. And you show us how it's supposed to work. You lived, you spoke and you taught so much about how you expect your disciples to live too. And so even as I speak, may the words of my mouth use all the words of my mouth to shape the thoughts of our hearts so that our lives will always bring you glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the Sermon on the Mount is, uh, Jesus spoke a lot about the kingdom of God, right? And if you talk about it and you look at it from that perspective, Jesus spoke a lot about this is how the kingdom of God ought to be. But he wasn't just talking about the kingdom of God after one passed on. Uh, but very much how the kingdom of God, right? the kingdom disciples ought to be as if like the kingdom of God is here already. Now the prevalent thought about the ancient Near East religion during those days or the faith belief, they have a clear distinction between life, present and afterlife. So usually okay, they have a, a clear separation. The faith belongs or how it affects the afterlife uh, is for that time. But life, present... It doesn't really coincide. 
but not for Jesus, because Jesus' Sermon on the Mount uh, firmly and very like, you know, strongly instructed all disciples about their lives, like how they ought to live both in public and also in private. And that's really saying to tell his disciples, right, the kingdom of God is not then, not after, but here, right now. That's how the instructions came about. And it makes sense, really, if you set it in the context of God's kingdom from Genesis all the way from the start of creation. Let me say this. You can investigate the evidence from Old Testament through to Jesus. You will definitely agree that the kingdom of God, or God's kingdom, right, the way he created his kingdom, created the universe, isn't restricted to a place or a time or a country or a period. It stretches across time and space and place. So from creation in Genesis... This was the original God's creation kingdom, created kingdom, right? And it's passed on down through the generation. And because it's tainted by sin, every aspect of creation, from how we relate, how we love, how we work, becomes distorted. And we've learned over in the past couple of weeks how to have a good theology of work, why it's so important for us. Uh, rhythm uh, of rest and not letting work become our idols and work-life integration to allow God to be integrated in our life in all aspects as we work rest in Him. So these principles are all consistent with Jesus' teaching, uh, His teachings on the Sermon on the Mount. It's all there. It's just how we... Put it right. So Jesus was talking and instructing his disciples to say, you see, how you tell that it's a kingdom disciple is by their lifestyle. Correct? How they live. Okay? You can tell the difference between a disciple of kingdom and a disciple of who is not okay, of kingdom at all. Essentially, that's about witness. How you assess a Christian in their public life determines whether it's a witness. Or not. So this is so important because the last thing that Jesus said to the disciples before he ascended into heaven was this. In, in verse 9, Exodus 1, 8, this is the last instruction because really the last, verse 9, he goes to heaven. So last one it says, but you will receive the Holy Spirit. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. Not messengers, okay? not transporters, but you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. So here comes my first point. First point is this. Every disciple is a witness of God. Amen? It kind of makes sense, right? It came from Jesus. You will be a witnesses. So if you're a disciple of Jesus, you have to be a witness. The next question is, so what is a witness? What is a witness? I'm going to get you to go to Slido. Okay, uh, at least thank you so much. Okay, just help me. Um, go to Slido, and I want you to answer this question. Okay, uh, we have quite a lot of fun. I think the QR code needs to come back up again. Yes. Uh, and the poll is open, and you should be able to see a poll called "What Does a Witness of God Look Like?" So, what do you think? If I were to ask you today, witness for God, right? Witness, okay, of God. If you are Christian disciple, what does it, what does this person look like? What does this person look like? Okay, uh, it can show the poll actually. Let, let me control the show results, right? What does it look like? Yeah. Okay. Please do not put my name. Eh? Okay, every service I do this, every time it comes out. 
Okay. <laughs> I deleted it. Please don't put it back again. And let's see what does the witness of God look like. Characteristic, uh, not... Okay, yeah, characteristics. And help me see. And what does it look like? Uh, okay, and the slides uh, and the screens going to come up. And you should be able to see also the responses on your phone. I have, it looked like Jesus. How many of you know what Jesus looked like? Okay. Uh, holy, loving, Christ likeness actually uh, came out quite tops. Uh, if you look at the phone, uh, as soon as they sort out the, the, the screen, you will see the responses. And I have also, wow, and, over 100 people have responded caring, okay? kindness. Are we okay to see it? Okay, you should drag across the browser on the other side. Yeah, yeah. If uh, it's up, and um, so you can see you now your poll results: kind, loving, Christ-likeness. Okay, uh, for you, I've left it there, and you should be able to see the response coming out in the work cloud. So I'm going to move on. Okay, now you know what the kind of like these are characteristics, right? And you agree that all of us ought to be disciples. Next question. Next question. Next poll. So why, uh, what are the difficulties and challenges of being a work, uh, witness at your workplace? Okay, go to your poll. Go to your poll just now. Okay, you should be able to get it. And it's the same, uh, it's the same one as well. And I've got the responses in. Okay, uh, and I'm going to show results for everybody. Can't get it. Okay, no worries. You should be able to see in your phone, okay, the responses, right? Uh, if you want to see outcast, I see rejection as top, fear, peer pressure. Some of us experience political persecution. Are you sure? I'm talking about your work politics, right? <laughs> it's like, wow, so serious. Huh? Okay. Peer pressure, being judged, busy. Shy came out quite top, uh, depending on some services. Uh. Tough, toxic work, uh, work environment. Annoying colleagues. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, challenging. And, uh, but uh, the word outcast, that means you feel alone or you feel ostracized, right? And you feel that it's hard to be a witness. Probably a bad experience or maybe a um, challenging work relationships. Paise came out, right? Paise is not shy. Or oh, shy, 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 right? Okay, okay. Now, uh, let me move on. Now, it is important to get this right, okay, for witness. Because if you don't understand what a witness is, then you won't be one. Okay? Uh, especially for our workplace. So let me do a quick Bible word study here for all of us so that we can understand what this uh, witness is. So the root word for witness in the Old Testament, it starts out with this. Okay? Um, it, it, so the, word, the Hebrew word here, okay, uh, uh, ayat, which a Bible dictionary puts it this way, is a person or an object that has first-hand experience, first-hand, it can attest legally, credibly, truthfully about a situation. It makes sense, right? Because this is how what a witness is. Uh, you, you are the primary encounter. And how Genesis, uh, 
use this word here. I give you an example. Then, uh, then Laban declared this pile of stones was sent as witness to remind us of the covenant we have made today. And this explains why it was called um, Galit witness pile. So it is used in the context of a primary source or primary eyewitness account that has been present in the situation. Once the situation passed, there's no way to recreate it. The witness represents the accountability, the credibility of the incident that happened. Witness is important. So it's also used in relation to important accounts such as vows, covenants, marital covenants and contracts, for example, where you must have eyewitness to attest to the legality and authenticity of it. So in a way, a marriage, you need to have marital witnesses, right? Before the solemnity can sign. Otherwise, it's not a legit marriage. Okay? They can't just declare you and I are married, no witnesses. What kind of relationship is that, right? Correct? So it's not, a le- it's not legally binding. The law requires us to do that. So this is important because first-hand knowledge... In a way, it differs from a messenger. A witness is not a messenger because a messenger is just a conveyor of facts. But someone who has first-hand knowledge, this is what laws and justice is built upon. And in ancient times, God is so serious about the role of witness that he even instituted a commandment for it in the Ten Commandments. You shall not bear false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not be a false witness. So this is important. You're obligated to tell the truth. Okay? And in the New Testament, the position of the word witness, the intensity, the intensity follows through as well. In Greek, it's translated as martyr or matus, and depending on the, the root nature of the word. But it is also the word we get the, uh, the root word we get the word martyr from. Right? So it's one who bears account about an event or a person and is obligated to speak of the truth unto death. So a witness is serious stuff. You are obligated to tell or to say the thing that you experience, the truth, even under favor- unfavorable condition. So legally and also biblically, this is how it works, right? A disciple of Jesus is a witness of Jesus. Right? Yeah. Okay. The first the first hand noise is important. Now the flip side is also true. You cannot be a witness. You are not a witness or a disciple if you have not experienced God firsthand. You can't. How can you? You are only a messenger, right? You can be a great messenger. But you cannot be a disciple or witness for Jesus if you don't have first-hand relationship with Jesus. So I'm saying to you here, okay, maybe that's why we are, some of us find it so challenging. We have not experienced Jesus for our lives. We can't say that, no, I actually encountered transformation or I don't have experience. So let me say this. Before you do anything, go sort your relationship with God out first. If you want to be an effective disciple, primary role, you must have a relationship and encounter with Jesus. You can't do that if you don't have one. Go attend Alpha, seek Him first, okay, and get, and, and ask God to reveal to you who He really is, and sort that relationship out. I think it's important for us, okay, to be 
to have a personal relationship with Jesus so that we can be witnesses for him, not just messengers. And that's what God calls to do, right? Jesus calls to do, you will be witnesses. Now, why are witnesses so important? Let me move on quickly. Because God uses witnesses for redemption and transformation. And one of the things that scholars noted throughout biblical history, from the Old Testament all the way to the New, from creation point, is how he used people to be his witness and from there effect transformation. Let me give you a few examples. Adam. This was designed this way and a pattern as well. Adam, God's alpha design, through him the world populated and creation to be ruled and governed. If sin didn't come to the picture, humanity would be perfect witnesses everywhere of all work and relationships, right? Correct? That's how it's supposed to be, right? Through one person, everyone has that will be impacted. Abraham trusted in God and because of his trust, okay, he's known as the father of all nations. He learned the hard way to be honest. Okay? But eventually, by being a truthful witness, did he get Isaac and eventually led to the tribes of Israel? Moses, through his witness and testimony, one person, you know, he experienced God in the burning bush. God said, go, okay? Uh, yes, faithful messenger, but tell of the witness that this is who I sent you, right? And he went there to testify that this is God who sent me. And I am the, I have encountered God before the Pharaoh. And God used him to redeem the whole e- Hebrew nation of Egypt. The pattern persisted that he received the Ten, taben- uh, the ten Commandments, the, taben- the, ta- tabernacle, the tablets, right, from uh, Mount Sinai, and he spoke truthfully to the people who, like, no, where are you? Missing. And because of his honest witness, this is what God told me. First-hand experience, everyone okay, uh, transformed. So scholars noted a pattern. Oh, one casualty down. Okay. <laughs> so scholars noted a pattern when they studied the word witness through the kings and the prophets, all the way until Jesus. And through Jesus, one person, everyone, okay, transformation to the kingdom and, the, and his disciples as well. And today, you have also received the love of God for those who have experienced. It's because someone witnessed to you and shared God's love with you. So God will use you as his transforming agent in the workplace or anywhere, you are supposed to be that transforming agent, right? So scholars noted that God uses uh, witness to redeem, transform culture. Two words used to describe a witness and these are salt and light. Salt is useless if it loses its saltiness and light is useless if it doesn't light up the place because they are supposed to be transforming agent. It is important in the times of Jesus because you can't speak out directly against the paganistic culture or against the Roman Empire, but as a witness, you can testify about your transformation and effect change. That's how it is. How is it supposed to work? Now, the late Donald uh, Miller co-author of a theological dictionary, wrote a piece on the concept of witness. And let me read this for you. That's quite lengthy, but I'll draw the facts for you, right? And I think it's a great piece. You can Google it. It's uh, available. And he says, this is the concept of witness in Scripture. The Christian faith dawned on the earth, uh, on the world as a light shining in darkness of paganism. It came into the world filled with many gods, many lords, in the temples of Rome and the deities of the mystery uh, religious, uh, religions from Egypt such as Isis and Osiris and many philosophies such as uh, Epicureanism and Stoicism 
which actually commanded loyalties of many. Many were affected. So uh, Christianity confronted all this with a simple account of a man named Jesus in whom it claimed to be the one, the living, eternal God, had visited earth, but here was something new, something different. See, no one ever shook hands with Zeus. No one ever had lunch with Jupiter. Those deities never wore sandals. Their feet never touched the earth and they were never soiled by the dust on the road we walked. But here was a God who shared in flesh and blood, who was made like his brethren in every aspect. There was, this was not mythology, but history, not fairy tale, but fact. Here is where the witness in its primary sense becomes essential. The story must be told by those who had witnessed it. It was for this reason that the gospel was written and ultimately selected by the church as bearing essentially the witness of the apostle who were described by Luke as eyewitnesses of the things narrated. Unquote. Now there's a lot of gem here, but this is true. See, Christianity, the whole Bible is based on witnesses' account. Scripture, if not for witnesses, no scripture, no Bible. And these witnesses are obligated to tell the truth. And the church has battled this throughout history that if it's not traceable to the original accountable witnesses, it's thrown out. If it's second or third account, it's thrown out. And that's why the Bible is as such. It is only on the primary account. Those who have witnessed it, otherwise it will not survive the age of time. And the fallen world and false gods, which is true, according to like how he wrote, don't shake hands with people. Witnesses do. Why are witnesses so effective? It's because Jesus came, shook hands with disciples. Witnesses, as you are, you can go and shake hands with people and say that God is real. How are they going to see that God is real? God is so complex, you know, to the, to the world. The concept of God is beyond. Uh, many comprehension, even Christians find it so daunting. Then talked about unbelievers. They completely, of course they have questions, right? But how do they see God? Through witness. Through the way you live, through the way you do, through your faithful witness, He transformed and said, no, people come to know, this is how, who God is and how He's like. Now you get it. That's why you know, it's so important. And God expects us to be His witnesses. So important for our disciples' life to be transformed. So if you claim that you're a disciple and there's no transformation, what is it like? It's either you're salt that loses saltiness or you're not salt at MSG or something like that, right? But that's, that's not salt. And you're not doing what you're supposed to do. Thrown out. And light that don't shine. I don't know why it's that. So Jesus is quite specific. Salt and light. And here comes the third thing. So disciples work as full-time witnesses of God's transforming love in their lives. There's no such thing as part-time Christian or compartmentalized witnesses. This is, I'm in my church mode. I'm in my house mode. I'm in my play mode and I'm in my work mode. So I turn on and off. Okay? No such thing. You are a full-time witness for God. And if we are full-time witnesses for God, then all our work, how we do, how we, what we work, what, how we relate to people, how we love, how we behave, 
becomes transformational. It needs to be consistent across the field. Just like how Moses' witness stood as God's light against the God of the uh, uh, goddess of Pharaoh, not Egypt during that time. Just like how Jesus and disciples stood at God's light to shine in the darkness of the paganistic culture then. You are God's light to shine brightly against our time into our culture. Amen? Are you there? How do we do that? Okay, how do we do that? It says this. Let's read the verse 16 together. Okay? Say this together. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify who? Your Father in heaven. They see whose good deeds? And glorify who? Your Father. Can you tell, how can you, I don't know, self-assessment, when people see your life, can they thank God for you? Or they say, God, or they complain to God about you? This is what we're supposed to do, right? No? So friends, we are all witnesses. We are all storytellers for Jesus. We are all obligated to speak the truth unto death. The word martyr represents that. It's hard for unbelievers to understand. But for us who experienced it, okay, we have to tell it. We have, we have to interpret for them. It's through your good deeds that people come to know who God is. That's why your life must be transformed. Have I convinced you yet? That this is how important a witness ought to be. Every disciple is a witness. God uses witnesses for redemption consistently throughout history for transformation and redemption. And we are all full-time witnesses for God. Transforming love in us. Everyone else needs to see that. So how can we be effective? And we, kind of time, we kind of went through the what Okay, it's a witness and the why is so important. Let's look at the how. And let me bring us back to some of our roots as a Methodist and to share with you a Wesleyan way they have made the early Methodists such a distinctive disciples that societies and nations are transformed. And the late uh, American Bishop Reuben Job studied the lives of John Wesley because he was, uh, John Wesley actually was a diligent journaler. Uh, everything he experienced he wrote. And uh, today many scholars study John Wesley's life Okay, and try to uh, come up with principles and help us also to live that life, okay? how it has impacted many. So, uh, Ruben Job studied them. Basically, John Wesley tried to live as much as possible according to the Sermon of Jesus on the Mount and came up with these three simple rules and this is how John Wesley observed. And if you just follow, this is easier for us to know and this is framed around all his rules and accountability structure Three simple rules, and many who have practiced these three simple rules have experienced transformation, and they also impact others. And the first rule, and say this with me, is do no harm. Do no harm. Okay. Do. Okay. Now, one of the instructions of Jesus on the Sermon on Mount is to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And we all have tendencies, right, to seek revenge and justice. But this is throughout history human tendency. Jesus knew the only way to stop a bully or harm from happening, perpetrating, right, is really to stop the harm in returning. He received wrath for us, for our sins, 
And you've got to trust that God is the perfect judge. Vengeance is His. And, you know, God is, God is fair, fairer than all of us here in meeting out judgment, you know. Otherwise, He's not God. And if you trust that He will act out justly, that's our assurance and our saying that, never mind, it's okay. God will deal with it, okay? Even injustice comes unto me. God is fair. And when God is fair, He settles it, right? It's even better than us, okay? And we can be secure that God will be just in meeting out judgment in time. So do no harm. Second rule is, do good. Do good. Do no harm doesn't actually show God's love. Just because I don't slap you doesn't mean I love you, right? Correct? It doesn't work that way, right? Jesus says the opposite. If anyone wants to sue you, take your shirt, take, uh, hand in your coat as well, and it forces you to go one mile, go two miles. It's about showing how much God's love has overcome your vengeful nature, that you can love and forgive. Something about doing good makes us humble. And that's what the early Methodists were known for in their good works and piety, transforming people and societies wherever they go, set up schools, collect money for the poor. And that's transformation. You see, doing good, show that God is good, made us good in return, transforming our hearts to share that goodness. If you don't do this, people don't know that you are good. Simple, right? And the last thing is this, you can't do all these two without staying in love with God. When you're strong, your relationship with God is strong, then you will be able to overcome challenges, bitterness, forgiveness, love. A strong relationship reminds you and allows you to do that. God has your back. So this is how it all works together. Stay in love with God, right? Do no harm, do no good. And when opportunity comes and people see the transformation, then you get to share your story. And that's how it works, okay? Uh, And that's how it all comes together. You got that? Okay, now let me put all this together and we will close because we have Holy Communion. Just how it works together. And... I'm just going to put this slide up because it's important that you know, uh, maybe some of us need to be equipped in this area as well on how to actually have be a conversational uh, evangelist. Let me close this story, how, it came, uh, how I put this together. As I prepared this, a memory came back, right? And I was working in the industry for eight years before I became, a, uh, before I became full-time. I would say that my faith was strong okay, then, but I was quite young. Not perfect because I was starting out to work. Work was tough. I don't know whether yeah, work is tough, right? Yeah. Uh, long hours, challenging projects, challenging relationships. Maybe I was one of the challenging relationships people would find me challenging too. I don't know whether I'm a good witness or not. But I want to grow. So I joined a workplace Christian fellowship and started to do devotion and sharing during lunchtime. Now it was Chinese New Year. And I was rostered to share in lunchtime devotion. There were 20 people that turned, usually about 20 people turn up and you have to inform a leader so that food and lunch were prepared. Now the problem was, this particular lunch, this devo, the lunchtime was the last day remaining hours to buy the annual CNY Hong Pao Toto draw. I think it's 3 million then. Uh. Now, now, how much? Uh? Huh? Five, five, you know, uh, 5 million. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> it's a trick question, bro, and you took it. Ah. Okay. Anyway, uh, 
I thought it's eight. No, okay. <laughs> I didn't know what happened until then. Okay, I was okay. I don't know how to buy. Then I didn't know. Uh, but there were message in the chat group that came out. No apologies. Cannot come. Uh, cannot come. Sorry. Busy. Whatever. No reason. No. I, everybody know right. They're gonna go and buy Toto. I cannot buy because I got to share devotion. So annoying. Okay. But I must confess. Like, okay, I did. Entertain the thought. Should I cancel devotion? I'm going to buy. I cannot have like, reputation at stake, right? Somehow, uh, the odds are I never buy it before. So, in a group chat, as more messages came in, I think I need to encourage my leader a bit. So, I text in, I uh, resist, and I text my leader, I won't buy Toto. I'll continue to share Devo. Okay? Then the next thing, my Devo leader wrote into the chat and said, Guys, this is without my consent. Guys, don't go buy Toto. Save the money. Upgrade our lunch. Come to Devo and hear Brother Adrian share how the riches of God's word is worth far more than the riches of the world. Oh my heart. I don't know where to put Okay, that time. Okay, as I reflected back, let me say, but the result is one by one. Amen, amen, amen. They all turned up and lunch was upgraded. Nice story, right? But as I reflected back, something happened that day. Let me say, God used faithful witnesses to transform culture. I didn't do anything. I was just like a messenger. But God told me about witness. That brother of mine, wow. okay, lah, I will forgive him. Okay? There was a shift in culture and word got around that lunch was great. Got good fellowship and opened up conversations and other Christians, weaker Christians, they never see before, following, following meetings, even previous, or bring, you know. And it sparked off something. And subsequently, we organized seeker-friendly talks, conversational evangelism. More people joined the fellowship. Friends, what's true for gambling is true for bitterness, rage, revenge, moral integrity, business ethics. You're a witness. Same applies. Simple rules. Do no harm. Do good. Stay in love with God. Be the effective witness. Amen? Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for using faithful witnesses to reveal how you, your kingdom work. And thank you for reminding us to continue to be your faithful witness to redeem culture and fallen world for your glory. As your full-time disciples, Lord, teach us to be compassionate and forgiving. And even as we labor for this world, Lord, help us that our lifestyle will be that light to give light to everyone in the house. So that, Lord, when they see our good deeds, they will indeed glorify you. We pray all this in the name of Jesus, who is mighty to save. Amen. Amen.